Thanks for joining us for the Heritage Bible Church podcast from Lincoln, Nebraska. We desire to be a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify Christ and love people well. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. I'm honored to be with you. Forgive me if I take a little bit longer time, uh, just by way of letting you know a little bit, those of you who maybe don't follow the podcast uh, are clueless as to why I would even be here. You're not alone. I am too. So <laughs> that's all, all good. Let me, let me buy just by a quick show of hands. How many of you uh, are familiar with the Just Thinking podcast? Raise your hands. Oh, wow. That's a whole lot more than I thought. Okay, raise your hand if you're unfamiliar with the Just Thinking podcast. Okay, that's the majority of you. So you're wondering, who is this guy in the bow tie, and uh, why is he before us this morning? I'm grateful uh, to be with you to open up the Word of God. I mentioned being a son of Nebraska in that uh, I've lived in Omaha. I lived in uh, Omaha, Nebraska for about, gosh, about 12, 13 years. My wife and I moved from Oklahoma uh, to Omaha. I know many of you think that's at least an upgrade or moving in the right direction. Uh, for, 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 for you Nebraska football fans, which I don't think there's anyone who's not a, a Nebraska football fan, you'll be happy to know that while I was here, I rooted for the home team until they played my Sooners, which was rare, so that's a good thing. With that said, uh, I was a discipleship pastor for six years at Westside Church in Omaha. If you're familiar with Dr. Kurt Dodd, uh, that was my stomping ground. That's where what I call home. Uh, he was gracious, gracious enough to open up a door of opportunity as I felt the call into ministry uh, for me to be the discipleship pastor there. I'm honored, humbled. I will forever be grateful uh, for his willingness to kind of bring me into the fold. I had uh, seminary training uh, there at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, as well. And so just kind of walking through that process, I got connected with Daryl Harrison uh, through a mutual friend of ours. Daryl was actually in Atlanta, Georgia. I was here in Omaha, and it's only the internet that would connect the two of us together. Uh, I was in the podcast world. I was very heavily involved uh, in social media, had a pretty large social media footprint. If you can avoid doing that, I would encourage you to do so. Um, that said, uh, uh, I was listening to an interview uh, that Daryl Harrison was on. Uh, he had been writing a blog called Just Thinking for Myself. You can find that. I think it's still available. He was saying some things that were countercultural, uh, but things that I had said uh, in my areas of influence and, and, and uh, walk of life, uh, things like the Bible uh, is true, uh, that the issues of race are, are really social constructs, uh, that we are all identical those of us who are believers in Christ, that is our primary identity. Uh, and that's, that is the issue that we should always push forward, that we don't look uh, at issues in the culture through the lens of the level of melanin in our skin, but we look at the issues of the culture through the, the, the unfiltered, very crystal clear word of God. It's interesting that that's counterculture, even in church culture. That's countercultural, even in church culture. So as I was listening to this brother say what he said and, uh, and, and, and uh, on, the, on the podcast that he was being interviewed on, I got a phone call from my friend who did the interview. He, he was a friend of mine and said, hey, I think the two of you need to connect. And I said, okay, how, how, what does that look like? I don't have a podcast. He said, I have a podcast. I've got a platform. You come on, and I just need you two brothers to talk. I had no idea what he was planning. Because as Daryl and I talked, uh, having never met each other, um, it was like two brothers 
who had reconnected to one another. I, I can only attribute that to both of us were connected uh, based upon the, 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 the love of God, the, the connection to the scriptures, and that we were indeed saying the same kinds of things because they were from the same book. As a result of that, uh, I asked Daryl, I had some experience in a previous life in the, in the area of radio. Uh, that's a long story we won't go into today, but uh, needless to say, I asked Daryl if he would be interested in doing a podcast. My thought in telling him to do that was not so that I could be uh, out in front, but more importantly, I felt like he was, he, in his writing were just ideas, concepts that really needed to be amplified and pushed forward. And so all I wanted to do was to come alongside him to help get his voice out. And so that's kind of what we did. He at least at first told me no. Uh, I, I, I understood uh, when you push yourself out there in that way, uh, it, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, of, of pushback that comes with that. Uh, for him, he felt much more comfortable writing. Uh, I feel much more comfortable just speaking. We both had the opposite gifts. He was a writer uh, and, and did fantastic writing. I, I felt adequate to do what I did from an oratory standpoint. Uh, when we were able to combine those two gifts, it was like lightning in a bottle took place. And all of a sudden, uh, this podcast that I had started, he had started, both of us, uh, literally, uh, for me, it was I, I would do my recordings in a closet. Uh, I, I, my son's closet was the quietest space, a uh, lot of uh, clothes on the floor and, you know, <laughs> so uh, I'd find myself in that very smelly environment <laughs> trying to get ideas put together and uh, he was in Atlanta. We did that podcast for two years before we ever met in person. Interestingly enough, the podcast during those two years after the first year had exploded, we started in December of 2017. If you're a young person and you're thinking about starting a podcast, don't start in December. Uh, it's just not a good time. Folks are not thinking about stopping and listening to podcasts. But uh, the podcast began to explode, and we began to get a lot of attention. Uh, attention in our, our theological circle, so to speak, which was relatively, relatively small uh, at first and, and, and all of a sudden grew. Uh, over the course of those two years, we were beginning, even long before the George Floyd incident, getting invitations to come speak about the issues and the subject matter that we were discussing. The, the first uh, invite was to the place where I am currently called G3. The G and the three stand for gospel, grace, and glory, G3 Ministries. We got an invitation to come out to their conference. They were holding uh, annual conferences at the time uh, that were that were uh, relatively large. This was about at the time it was about four to five thousand people at the conference. So we got an invitation to come out and do a live on-air podcast. In addition to that, uh, we got a uh, an invitation from probably a lesser-known name by the name of John MacArthur. I'm only joking about lesser-known. <laughs> Uh, we got a, that invitation, and at the time, they were courting Daryl to come from Atlanta to move out to California. Daryl Harrison now works for the teaching ministry of Dr. John MacArthur called Grace to You, gty.org. I want to plug that even in his absence. So if you ever see him, tell him I at least did a brother a favor and mention <laughs> what he's doing. Uh, in addition to that, I got an invitation from uh, Dr. Josh Weiss, the founder and president of G3 Ministries. Actually, the invitation was simply to come and write. Now, I felt great as an orator, was getting better in my writing as I spent more time producing content with Daryl. Uh, and so I felt comfortable enough to write blogs. That 
blog writing invitation became an ongoing conversation about the needs that they had at G3. Uh, because of the background I had in both management uh, as well as a number of other, you know, a cornucopia of other areas, uh, I, I got uh, invited to become the executive director of operations for G3 Ministries. We have two, uh, two kind of wings, if you will, of what we do. Uh, I'm responsible for all of the uh, conferences. We do a, a biennial conference now. The last one was in 2021. The next one will be in 2023, th this year in September. Uh, last, the last time we had one, we had 6,500 people uh, from uh, around the country, literally, literally around the world. Uh, and, and this year, we anticipate of about 7,000 people in attendance. So that's what I do. It's a biennial conference. In the off years, we do smaller regional conferences as well as uh, Bible teaching workshops, expository preaching workshops, uh, 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 biblical uh, worship workshops, and anything else the guys can create to throw on my plate to get things done. Uh, so that's kind of what we do. Uh, in, in addition to G3 and Just Thinking, I am uh, the husband of Tamika Walker. Uh, she is at home. I got a chance to talk to her on her way to church this morning there in Douglasville, Georgia. Uh, we attend Praise Mill Church. Uh, that is the church from which G3 was birthed, uh, and uh, we absolutely love it there. We don't miss the winters here uh, at all, uh, but of course, right now, this is rather mild. I, I, I planned on coming back to much more snow on the ground and other things here, but uh, I also want to just mention six years at uh, Westside Church was an absolute joy. It was a joy to serve uh, the people of God in this part of the country, and uh, it, I came back as soon as I flew into town. The first place I stopped at uh, was my, my local church to just see just a handful of faces so I can hug some necks and uh, see some folks and, and greet them. So I appreciate you being patient with me as I kind of unpack for you a little bit about who's standing before you before we open God's word this morning. That said, I want to take just a moment uh, to thank uh, Pastor Dustin and um, and Jim uh, I, I, Krieger, I believe is how I say his last name. Did I come close at least? Good. Jim was incredibly gracious, uh, one, to reach out, to ask us to come and be a part of, of the, uh, the college and young, young adult uh, ministry there at the retreat. We had a fantastic time. One of the things that the young people warned me about this morning at lunch, I said, as I prepared to go speak uh, to, to your, your parents and grandparents and other adults who weren't able to attend, what do you want me to know uh, about things at Heritage? And what they said to me was, be ready to receive a lot of hugs. I thought, okay, that's an instruction. It's like, no, this is like the huggingest place you're going to be. And then one person was there. He said, I'm not, I'm not really big into hugs. And one of the, one of the young ladies at the table kind of diagnosed, yeah, you were probably beaten as a child and just need... And just need these kinds of hugs. This is God's way of wrapping his loving arms around you. So again, it is a joy to be with you. I want to also thank uh, Pastor and Elder uh, Mark, uh, uh, Pastor Nick, Pastor Matt and the elders, uh, Tom, uh, Nick Cole, uh, Anderson, John Hess, uh, and Al. Just thank you all so much for uh, allowing me to come. I realize in, in a great way you all are under a plurality of elders here. And, and as a result, no decision is made uh, in the silo. So thanks so much for uh, allowing me to be here. That said, hopefully I got that out quickly. And uh, Pastor, Pastor Dustin told me I, I only have two hours, so I've got to move quickly. <laughs> with that said, let's open the Word of God this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the Word of God. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2. The main portion of our text will be, will begin, uh, will begin in verse 11, but just for the sake of context, I want to go back to verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. It reads this way. This is God's word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As you're seated, join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your sovereignty and salvation. We are indeed grateful for the selfless sacrifice of your son who died on a cross for our sins. For your wrath was poured out upon your son as a propitiation for all who place their faith in his finished work. We thank you for sealing this promise of salvation by the Spirit, who is the guarantee of that which is to come. We recognize that we were once separated from you, dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We acknowledge that we were sons and daughters of disobedience, following the prince of the power of the heirs as we carried out our own desires. We are overcome with gratitude as we acknowledge the result of your finished work unites us with you. We're grateful for that sacrifice, for that gift. And it is in that, that, that idea, that flow, that, that understanding, that knowledge that we come rejoicing this morning. It is in that way, Lord God, we just desire to worship you and praise you. Grateful to be here with the people of God gathered on the Lord's day, to give you the honor and glory that is due your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's with that letter, it's probably one of my favorite letters uh, of Paul's epistles, um, the book of Ephesians. And th there are many reasons for it to be a favorite letter for many. The letter opens with a clear explanation of God's cosmic plan of redemption for fallen humanity. 
people have different reasons for their joy, their excitement, their, 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 uh, their excitement for reading this particular book. For some, it's perhaps their first exposure to, to, to God's sovereign plan in salvation. Many believe, okay, when I think about salvation and think about what Jesus has done, it is Jesus who came and lived the perfect life and died a death he didn't deserve. All of what they think about regarding salvation is is wrapped up in the, the life of Jesus, and rightly so. But it's in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians that we get a clear picture of God's sovereign plan, this, this, this issue of salvation. It's, it's, it's a triune salvation. It's a, it's a salvation that's been gifted to us on the basis of God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we think about the majesty, the mystery, and the magnitude of God's sovereign plan, we're not more clearly, they're not more clearly expressed than they are in this very first chapter. I believe that every follower of Christ should take time regularly and remind themselves of the gift and the beauty of salvation by reading, meditating, and even memorizing, remembering, uh, remembering this, particular, this particular book, this particular uh, text. And yet and still, if that weren't, weren't enough, the first chapter of this book explains the beauty of what God has done. Paul explains to the church at Ephesus that this salvation that we now enjoy is not a new gospel. This was not the plan of God after uh, after looking and seeing what Adam did and thought, okay, I've got to fix some things. I've got to readjust some things. I've got to put things back together. No, this was the plan of God. In fact, salvation is the plan of God the Father in eternity past. You can see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It is the work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in redeeming man in time, verses 7 through 12. And it is the sealing of God by the Holy Spirit, confirming our future reward, verses 13 and 14, chapter 1. As you find yourself lost in the majesty and the beauty of of God's holy decree, Paul brings you back immediately uh, into the muck and mire of, of our current condition. So, so here you are in, in chapter 1 being awestruck by this sovereign cosmic plan of God in eternity past. And as you turn the page to chapter 2, you're, you're head first into the muck and mire that required that plan to happen to begin with. Take a look in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul begins explaining the condition of man in time. It's as if he's pulled the curtain back on that cosmic plan in chapter 1, only to show us the picture of our human reality. The chapter opens with our dire condition, as Paul writes, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. As we be, as what should be evident as we begin chapter 2 is, is our distance, our separateness from God. 
God's cosmic plan in, in eternity was an effort to, to save us, to, to redeem us, to, 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 to ensure that we would indeed have eternal life. But then we, we roll into chapter 2 recognizing our need for him, how dead we are in sins and trespasses. However, instead of condemning all of mankind to the death that we rightly deserve for our sins against God, verse 4 explains this, but God. And that should cause you pause, and that should cause you to, to say amen. Every, every opportunity that you get when, when you see the but God, and, and God is intervening in the, in the reality of, of, of the condition of mankind, we should stop, pause, and reflect and understand. That's, that's the point at which we should rejoice. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This great love is demonstrated by God the Father in the giving of his Son, providing us, provided to us by grace through faith, not of works. And this is the gift of God. It, this, this gift reconciles us back to God. This gift is, is, is a gift of justification for all who would repent and believe. As I think of this gift, I'm reminded of, of the issue of, of justification that we read in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, where, where, where Paul echoes the same idea as he writes, we, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God. We understand this reality that since that no, no, no human being rather will be justified in the sight of God since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We understand this, this reality. I love what, what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about, about Romans chapter 3, verse 21, where he says that there's a but now there as well. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. We understand that God, the sending of his son, intervenes and our condition ransoms us and redeems us and allows us to enjoy eternal life to all who believe. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places, even in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's as if the glory of, of the light of God's goodness, as if the glory, rather, of the light of God's goodness wasn't enough. This is, this is an amazing scenario that Paul gives us. He shows us the cosmic plan. He shows us mankind's condition and then and gives us the beauty of God's intervention as if that wasn't enough. We're still understanding the glory of God's goodness in one and two. And, and, and by the time we, we look again at verse 11 in chapter two, Paul wants us to stop and think about something. He uses the word therefore. Therefore, he wants us to understand what came before. All of what came before, the, the cosmic plan, our, our, our current condition, the goodness of God. And then he says, therefore, in verse 11, there's a transition there. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, 
called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. For those of you who are note takers, I want to do something here. I want, to, I want to give you kind of three things to kind of hang your hat on as we navigate these next few uh, sections of the text. I want you to first uh, recognize that in verse 11, there's a, there's a remembering. We want, we want to remember who we were. Paul is challenging us. Remember who you were. There's a reason for this. We'll unpack it. Paul walks it out in verse 11. In verse 12, he wants us to remember where we were. Remember where you were. This is not a location. This is a, an indication of our separateness from a holy God. And finally, we want to remember how we got from here to there. We're going to rejoice in that. Remember who you were. Remember that at one time you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Why would Paul want us to remember who we were? Well, the reality is we often forget. I don't know about you, I've lived long enough to, to kind of want to forget a whole lot of stuff that's happened in my past. It's things I don't want to really carry around. And as I live this Christian life, if we're not careful, we may have the natural tendency, the, the natural inclination to believe that we got from, from here to there, particularly based upon, you know, I'm really not that bad. We have a tendency to maybe stack our sin against maybe the sin of some, some, some world leader, some dictator, and say, I mean, compared to that guy, I'm not that bad. Maybe that's not you. Perhaps you're, you're one of those people who, who lives in the world that I do in social media. And, and maybe this example will strike a little bit more closely to home. If, if you're a social media kind of, kind of person, uh, you've seen, maybe you, you've not done it, so we won't put this on you. Maybe you've witnessed other people taking selfies of themselves. We live in a selfie culture, right? They, they, they take the selfie, and then what do they do? They, they immediately take it and uh, put, put filters on it and put some, you know, some imagery on it and, and, and doll it up a little bit and make sure it looks just right. And then they put it out there. More times than not, the image that's on the picture actually looks so drastically different from the way that you looked in real life. You're having a difficult time trying to figure out who was what. Is that who you are? We live in a culture and a world that has every desire to kind of doll itself up a little bit. It's easy for me to see the, the, the flaws in the people out there, but I have a difficult time using the mirror of God's word to examine my own life, my own situation, my own condition. So in light of that, Paul wants those who've been blessed by this cosmic plan of God who were in the muck and the mire and now experiencing the beauty of of God's grace to remember who you were. Remember who you were. This is the time at which we need to be in a situation where we remember who we were. Going back to verse 11, being called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Circumcision was given as a sign to 
Abraham, a sign of God's covenant people. We see this in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. This is an outward sign of belonging to God. There are all kinds of information that we could walk through regarding that, but, but this was an outward sign that, 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 the, that the believers at, at that time, the, the children of Israel, almost believed that this was salvific. It wasn't simply the identification of them with the covenant. It was, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm all right, I've, I've been circumcised. You're uncircumcised, I'm, I'm circumcised, I'm, I'm good to go. Not recognizing this is an outward sign given to the people of God for something that was larger than them. This was something that God wanted them to understand, that what he was after was not this outward sign, but an inward sign, a circumcising of their own hearts. You can recognize the, the language of uncircumcision when, or, or circumcision, rather, with, with David when, when he went out to the battle of Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 26. It says this, David stood by the men and, and said to them, what shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The word that is being expressed here is one who's unclean or, or, or one who's polluted, who's, who's carnal, who's outside of the covenant of God. In the most explicit terms, David describes his disdain for someone who's not a part of God's covenant people. Remember who you were. You were those, you were those people that, that had David been out on the battlefield, he would have said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who comes to defile the armies of God? That was you, that was me, that was us. We were outside of the, the covenant plan of God. As we think about who we were, Paul challenges us in verse 12 to remember where we were. Verse 12, we read that Paul desires to remind every believer in Ephesus that they were, they were once separated from Christ, separated from Christ. Now, this is absolutely huge, and it's central to everything. Once you understand who Christ is, you understand the, the magnitude of that kind of separation. Who is Christ? Well, John 14, 6 Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by me. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, and he, that being God the Father, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Very familiar passage of scripture, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. This is Christ. We were separated from Christ. This is Christ, the preeminent one, the, the promised Messiah, the greater prophet. This is Christ, the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. This is Christ. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Apart from him, no life, apart from him, nothing holds together. And the whole known universe collapses upon itself. And folds back into the nothingness that it was before he said, let there be light. This is Christ. 
we're separated from him. We're eternally condemned. We're doomed where we were. As if that weren't enough, Paul goes further. Our separation from God, by, and, and by extension, he means separation from people. We, we have to understand something. If we're separated from Christ, we're indeed separated from the people of God, the covenant people. Here's the thing. The beauty of what we experience this very moment in the koinonia fellowship of believers on, a, on, on the Lord's Day, on, on Sunday as we gather, is emblematic of the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. Let me explain something to you. As, as the culture is at war with each other and trying to separate us by color and, 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 and a race. Uh, they're, they're trying to separate us by, by gender. They're trying to set all of these different spectrums. The beauty of, of what Christ has done is he has united you and me. Here's the beauty of that unity. We're not simply united just a set of ideas. This is not an ideological framework for unity. This is a spiritual connection that lasts from now into eternity. Let me give you the good news and the bad news. The good news is that you and I are family. And perhaps the bad news for some, we're connected forever. I want to I pause because I so want you to understand the power of what Christ did in uniting us to one another. As the world is grasping to, to figure out some different segmented group of victimhood that, that they can be a part of so that they can feel some united framework, we are united by the body and blood of Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. I just got excited for a moment thinking about that and looking at all of you. We need to remember who we were. We need to remember where we were. But we also need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in what God has done. Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who, weren't, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you look at verse 13 and you think about Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, it's really an echo of that previous verse, right? You see, uh, it says, uh, but now in Christ. And verse 4 says, but God. It's the same idea that's being echoed there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. This is the good news. The, the, the one is... Indicative of the fact that we've, brought, we've been reconciled to, to God the Father through Christ Jesus. But that, as if that reconciliation weren't enough, and it was more than enough. The work of Christ unites us one to another in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel, that we who were once far off have been 
brought near. As I mentioned at the outset, this is not a new gospel. This is not something that, that God said, well, I, I guess, I, guess I, I turned my back and Adam messed it up. And I know Virgil's coming. He's definitely going to mess it up. And so I better, I, better, I better cobble something together and fix something. I would have used your name, but I don't know your name. So <laughs> Acts 2.39, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Colossians 1.21, and you who were once alienated and hostile and mind doing evil deeds. He has reconciled us in his body of flesh by death in order to present you as holy and blameless before him. According to our text in Ephesians 2.13, it's by the blood of Christ that we've been brought near. Consider, if you will, verses 14 through 16, which read this way, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. This is, this is absolutely incredible. It's, it's more than just we're, we're united uh, one to another. We are, we are one new man in the place of two. Jew and Gentile, these, these two groups of people who, were, who couldn't have been more separated. And here's what's unique. Our current culture makes up categories by which to divide us. These are made-up categories. If I had time, I would explain to you that there's no such thing as races of people. There's one human race created in the image of God. We are made up of multiple ethnicities. The correct word, if the culture wanted to do it right, would be to, to use the word ethnicity. And here's what's, what's different about that. There are many of you in here uh, that, that, that have much less melanin in your skin than I do. Now, don't be mad if God didn't bless you with as much melanin as he blessed me. But that doesn't change the fact that there could be multiple ethnicities all with the same level of melanin in their skin. So don't let anyone tell you, you know what, that, that old Heritage Bible, they, they, need, they, need, they need more diversity in that place. They have no business saying that until they've come to find out how much diversity is actually in the place. Does that make sense? You, you don't need to have a, a group up here that, okay, that now you got, got a black singer and a Hispanic singer and a white singer and an Asian singer and a... You need to have people singing who love God who've been transformed by the power of the gospel. And, and that is unity. By the way, this is caveat. This is, this, is, this is extra. I won't even charge you for it. Diversity isn't, uh, isn't, isn't a value. Diversity is not a value. Diversity is a description. Diversity is a description. Diversity is not a value unless you tell me what's underlying it. Uh, we're, we're united on the basis of the gospel of Christ. No, that's, that's a value. God's, God's gospel, that's a value. And the fact that, that there's multiple ethnicities represented, that's a description. Now we can say that, that, that based upon the description, there's value because we know what underlies it. Does that make sense? It needs to because what you keep hearing in the culture are things like uh, there's power in diversity. No, there's not. There's power in truth. There's power in the word of God. And God is able to bring as much diversity to that truth as he sees fit. That's all that matters. I apologize. I'm on a 
hobby horse. I want to get back to the text. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 reads this way, and you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's now reconciled you in his body of flesh by death in order to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach. We were brought near to God. How? We were brought near by the blood of Christ. His sacrifice on the cross reconciled us both to God the Father and with one another. Again, we read the text. It says, for he himself is our peace. You know what that means? I don't need some man-made idea or, or CRT or ABC or DEF to reconcile me. I'm not waiting on that. I've got a God who sent his son in the, in the person of Jesus Christ who lived a life I couldn't live by obeying all of the law and commandments and died a death that he did not deserve on a Roman cross on my behalf in an effort to reconcile me. If I would but repent sin and place my full faith in Jesus Christ, I can be reconciled both to God the Father and to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is sufficient. As I've looked at, historically speaking, at the separation and divisions, I mentioned that, that culture makes up categories by which to divide and separate us. Here's the reality about Jew and Gentile. The separation and division was actually ordered by God. And it wasn't on the basis of color of skin. It was on the basis of the covenant people of God. But there was separation. And, of course, in our fallen human condition, the Jewish people took those to a whole other level. The purpose of the separation was for the, for the purpose of bringing forth the Messiah, so that they would be a unique people, wouldn't, be, wouldn't fall to the worship of other false gods and the cultures around them. They were separated for the, for the purpose of the promised Messiah. But again, in the fallen condition of, of humanity, they erected barriers that were even greater than those still. But we would see that in the ways of their worship. As you looked at the temple courts, there were courts of separation. You had the court of the priests. You had the court of Israel where only male Jews were permitted. You had the, the court of women where, where, where women could enter and not go beyond a certain point. Five steps down from the level of the Jewish courtyards, there was a five-foot-high stone barrier that extended all the way around the temple court. And then another 14 steps down to the level known as the court of the Gentiles. That's how far away we were from being able to worship the true and living God, even if you were a, a, what was called a God-fearer. There was a separation, the walls of separation. These weren't made-up social constructs. This was real division. In fact, there was, it was Jewish, a Jewish historian, Josephus, who actually talked about what was written on the dividing walls. And it's, it, there was a statement there that read this way, quote, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who's caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death, end quote. Again, the separation wasn't imagined. It was real. But what abolished that separation? Our separation was not abolished by legislation or a government entity. It was not abolished by a march on the streets or a rally or a riot. No one called on Washington, D.C. to see if we could unite one to another. What abolished the wall of division and separation that once divided the people of God? It was Jesus was Jesus Christ. And him crucified, the wall comes crumbling 
down. Now we have relationship back with God and to one another. We follow the text in verses 17 and 18. We find out the outcome intended by God the Father. Let's begin reading in verse 18 and 19. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I think the beauty of this text is absolutely clear. We can have relationship once again with God the Father. I'm going to finish out the text in 19. So then, this is, this is, this is glorious. Listen, this should, this, should, this should cause you to rejoice. Your heart should be filled with, with just great gratefulness and, and absolute joy as we close out the text. So then, you are no longer strangers or aliens. Listen to this. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being your cornerstone. We should rejoice. If you are here and you are in Christ, you should rejoice. You should feel no greater connectivity than when you're in the house of the Lord, fellowshipping with the people of God. We live in a culture that is, they kind of treat church, even gathering together, kind of flippantly. Their thought is, well, y'all go this Sunday. I think Pastor So-and-so's preaching. They said they, they said they had this guest preacher. He wears bow ties. I'm not going to that. I don't have time for that. We feel like we can take it or leave it. Listen, church is critical. Our, 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 I should have got a few more amens than that. <laughs> we need to see this for what it is. This is the body of Christ. You are his representatives. You are a part of the family of God, the household of faith built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's no greater connection that you can have. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we're family. I'm your family. You're my family. I love when I get the opportunity to, to travel to places so I can see what the rest of my family looks like. We are indeed family for eternity. And we need to be a reflection of that in our culture. We need to be a reflection of, of the love that we have for one another and, and be ready to tell someone at a moment's notice of the joy that they can experience coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and entering to the family of God known as the church. On the other hand, if you're gathered here today with the people of God and you don't have a relationship with him, You've never taken the time to consider what God the Father did for you in eternity past and, and, and sending the sending of his son and the living of his life in a perfect manner, the dying of a death that you rightly deserve. If you haven't considered that, my, my, my challenge, my encouragement, my prayer, my request would be that you would bow the knee today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you should come and repent of your sin and turn 
and reach for Christ as he's here reaching for you. What you've heard today in this message, a message about reconciliation, is the very message of the gospel. Paul writes in Romans that he's unashamed of this gospel. Why? Because that gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's not my words. It's not my eloquent speech. It's it's not how loud I talk or how soft I make things or the music that we could play to stir your heart. It is the gospel that has the power. If that gospel is drawing you to God today, don't ignore that call. Pause. Take the time. Acknowledge. It is the very gift of God for eternal life, reconciling you eternally with God the Father, and then opening up the beauty of the relationships that we can have one with another as we're reconciled by that great grace. Amen? Let me close with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this truth, this gospel, this message. I'm grateful for this church, for their elders who care deeply for them. And my prayer would be that you would use anything that I've said to be something that draws men's hearts to yourself as I've shared your message, the message of the gospel. And may those of us who have known and accepted that gospel be shaped by it today as you day by day conform us into the image of your dear son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.